we'll come to the place where we begin to comprehend how God reigns, how he desires to reign in our life, in the life of everyone that lives and everyone that's died up to this point in time. You see, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He provided everybody, everybody, with the ability to have a relationship with God at that point in time. He provided a promise for all of us to respond to, an opportunity to actually interact with God Almighty. That took place at the special time that we refer to as Easter. It's the day that God showed his hand. It's the day where God said, this is what I'd plan from the moment of creation. My desire was to have all of my children gathered together so that they could enjoy fellowship and love with me. Now, it's interesting. Satan thought that God was bluffing at this point in time when he offers up his son. But he was wrong. He didn't comprehend all that was being placed into this remarkable response by Jesus himself. You see, Jesus would allow this earth, these people, to take his life, despite the fact that he was God himself and he had no reason to die, but he personally chose to become a sacrifice for us so that we might have the opportunity to know that God loves us, that God can work within us. He can literally change our motivation, our attitude, and grant us the strength and ability to love one another. Now, all of you know that story. Pretty much everybody here has heard the story of Easter. And as I walked through this story, I thought, you know, there's some other backstories that are taking place here. And one that came to my mind was one that we often don't talk about. And what it is about two people. One of them is called Nicodemus. Remember him from John 3, if those of you that know that particular section. Nicodemus, he was a Jewish leader. And the other person was named Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea, he was also a member of this ruling council, this group of Jewish leaders who were wondering who Jesus was and who, once they concluded he was going to be a danger to them and to their position, desired and then put him to death by manipulating the Roman laws and the processes there so that Jesus would become the sacrifice unbeknownst to them. For all mankind. Now, it's interesting that without Nick and Joe, we want to use colonial names, right? Without Nick and Joe, Jesus would not have had a grave to be buried in. He would not have a tomb to come out of. He would not have a specific place where people would be able to identify, here's where Jesus was placed. Here's where Jesus rose from the dead. Here's where the soldiers guarded his tomb, trying to stop anybody from stealing his body. Here is the place. Now, we don't often understand, well, why not? You have to comprehend what takes place to those who were crucified at that time by the Romans. When you were crucified, you were considered to be a terrible, terrible criminal. And the result of that was you were not allowed a proper burial. Your family was not allowed to honor you or even to recognize that you had died. In fact, your body would literally be cut down from the cross, 
placed into a wagon along with a number of other bodies. Oftentimes it would be 20 or 30 bodies dumped together, lined up in this horrible position, being taken down to a place called the Valley of Gehenna. And Gehenna, the Valley of Gehenna, was this horrible dump. It was a trash dump where fires went on all the time and bodies were burned up and the rats. It's just a horrible place. This place called Gehenna is where we get the term hell from. And that is where Jesus' body would have been placed. That was what was expected to have happened to him by the priests. They thought that's where he was going after he died. But you see, God, as he always does, had a different plan. He had set things into place years before. Actually, one year before John chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you can even turn there to follow along with me. John chapter 3 is a story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is this interesting character who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. What had happened, this is a year before, it's Passover. Okay, Passover, Jesus in Jerusalem. Nicodemus is sent by the council. He probably drew the low straw, short straw. Nicodemus, you got to go. He's like, are you kidding me? Go at night. Don't let anybody know you're going. We don't want the people to know that we are actually considering that Jesus might be viable. So Nicodemus shows up at night and he begins to ask Jesus a series of questions. A series of questions. He says, he came at night, probably because he didn't want anyone to know that he was coming, and he said, Rabbi, and here's our key word, we, it's not a me question, it's a we question. I'm here representing this group of people, the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. This group has been watching you, and we have some questions. We're starting to believe, but we got these questions. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who came from God. We don't know what your relationship with God is, but we've been watching you, and this is what we know. We know no one can perform the signs and miracles you've been doing. No one can perform those signs unless God was with him. And then Nicodemus takes a deep breath because he was going to ask the question that they'd all been wanting to ask Jesus. And just as he's about to ask the question, Jesus does what he always does. He answers it before it's asked. He says to him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. He's asking the question. Nicodemus is saying, how can you have a right standing with God? How do I know that when I die, there's something good for me? Is it possible that God even knows my name? Is there any way in this life to have assurance about where I stand with God? And Jesus said, there's only one way to have assurance. There's only one way that you can go to bed at night and go to sleep thinking, everything's all right with me and with God. And Nick responds and he says, how can a person be born again? You can only be born once. Either you're kidding me or you're just giving me some kind of weird comment. Jesus says, Man. the Holy Spirit will do to all those who believe 
a change in their life. He will come into their life and he'll change their spirit. Flesh is born of flesh. But the Spirit is born of Spirit. And the Spirit of God is able to change you. And you can experience this wondrous thing of being born of the Spirit that I call being born again. If you will believe in the one whom God has sent, you can be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And Nicodemus says, I don't get it. He says, you're a Jewish leader. You're supposed to be a man of God. You don't get it. He says, let me give you a simple illustration. Are you ready? He says, okay. It's not about a series of laws and ideas. I'm going to clarify this. Do you remember Moses? Back in the book of Numbers, you know know this story, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is thinking, oh yeah, I know everything about Moses. I know everything about Moses. He says, okay, the people woke up and all these snakes were all over it. They were in the tents. They were entire the area. The snakes had invaded their, their area and they were all being bit by snakes and they were dying one by one by one. And they're screaming out and Moses heard them screaming. He turns to God and says, God, help me. What am I supposed to do? And God says, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, raise the pole up as high as you possibly can and all the people who look at the pole will be what? saved. They'll be rescued from the bite. They won't be harmed by the poison of the serpent. And it says, as he raised it up, incredibly enough, amazingly enough, I can't understand this. It happened. And all the people were saved. This is Nicodemus, you know this. In the same way, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that all who look upon him and see who he is and believe in him will be saved as well. Nicodemus is stunned. He's like, it sounds to me like you're proclaiming yourself to be something that I don't want to get into right now. I don't want to go there. And he leaves, walks away. He goes back to the Jewish ruling council and he shares with them what happened. And everybody goes, ah. And they say, hey, he's from Galilee. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth and Galilee. He cannot possibly be the Messiah. You don't believe in him, do you? Nicodemus doesn't say anything. End of our interaction with Nicodemus for one year. All right? So let's kind of shelve that for a bit. And I want to talk a little bit about how the trials of Jesus, this special Easter day, show us God's plan and God's purpose. I want to talk about how the death of Jesus declares to us God's love. And last, I want to talk about how the resurrection of Jesus provides us with this incredible power for all who believe who will respond to him. You see, the trials of Jesus shows us God's purpose, God's intent, God's plan. It shows us that God was involved specifically, intensely in every area. In fact, Jesus said, listen to this, no one can kill me without my consent. I laid down my life voluntarily because I have the right, I have the power to lay it down when I want to. And also the right and the power to take it back again. For the Father has given me this right. You hearing that? 
always like to say, I'd like to know the day I die. Well, those of you that have cancer, how many of you here have had cancer or have had cancer? Okay. And you were given the statement, oh, you could die. Suddenly you went, I don't want to know when I'm going to die. They start setting dates for you. Jesus says, not only do I know when I'm going to die, I will choose the time, and I will also choose the time when I'm going to rise again from the dead. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says he's talking, crying out to God. And he says, my soul is troubled. It's distressed. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this very hour, from this agony of trial? And he says, no, it's for this very purpose that I came to this hour. This is the reason I came to earth. This is my purpose. I came to die, to destroy the power of sin, to save everyone from death. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. You see, then the Jewish soldiers sew up at this time. And Judas comes along and he gives him a kiss. And Peter pulls out his sword and says, enough of this stuff. And he starts swinging the sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the priest's subjects. And Jesus says, stop that, Peter. Don't you understand? If it was my desire to stop this happening, I would have over 10,000 angels here. They would clean up everybody like that. That's not the point. Put your sword away. And then he turns and he heals the ear of the one whose ear was cut off. Malchus. It's replaced. And he turns to all of them and said, you've come here for me. Nobody else goes with you. Now, this is a miraculous moment, by the way. I often miss this. He turns to this crowd of, of guards, and he says, Who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus. He said, I am he. And it says they all fell back. They all fell down. Literally. They all get back up, and he says, Who are you seeking? They said, Jesus. He said, That's right. Just me. Nobody else goes with you. And they grab him, they put him in chains, and they take him away. And he goes through six different trials. Voluntarily, willingly, trial after trial after trial. And they continue to to accuse him of this and accuse him of that. And they find themselves unable to come up with one accusation that will stick. There's no crime he's committed. There's nothing that he's done wrong. And they're at their wits' end, literally. They're going, what are we going to do now? And so finally they say, there's only one thing we can do. We have to say the thing we don't want to say. We have to ask him that which we don't want to ask him. It could get us in a huge amount of trouble, but we've got to ask it. Caiaphas turns to him, and he says, do you claim to be God's one and only son? And Jesus turns to him and said, you betcha. Well, that was kind of Minnesota style. <laughs> yep, I am. And the next time you see me, I'll be coming in on the clouds to bring judgment to this earth. And they're like, that's it. They tear their robes. They shout and scream, blasphemy. He claims to be God himself. Having put to death, they bring him before Pilate. He claims to be the king of kings. Pilate goes, hold it just a minute here. He goes in and he shares with Jesus. He finds out this is really tough stuff. He has him beaten to a bloody mess, brings him back out. And he says, here's your king, this beaten, bloody person. He's nothing. He's nobody. 
And they cry out, not Hosanna like they did just some seven days before. Not Hosanna. Just three days before. They cry out, we have no king but Caesar. He claims to be king. And Pilate then turns him over to be crucified. He's beaten and bloodied. And he goes through all these things, not because he had to be beaten and bloodied, but because it was a recognition of how awful sin was in the life of all mankind. And then he's crucified on the cross. in order that the penalty of sin might be taken care of. You see, Pilate couldn't stop it. It was God's plan. It was God's purpose. Even Paul talks about it. He says, Jesus was truly God, but he gave up everything. He became a slave. When he became like one of us, he even died on a cross. He gave up his deity, and he gave us life so we could have a life. You see, the trial shows us the plan and the purpose of God. The purpose was to deal with sin's power, to save us from death. He was placed on trial. He was sentenced to death as God intended him to all along. And just when death and sin thought they were about to conquer God, he shows his hand. What is really happening? It was a royal flush. God wins. And the whole cosmos screams out in recognition that justice had been done, that all of mankind now had before them a promise from God that anyone who would respond to the one who was slain would receive life from God himself. And it was a just response. In the midst of this, there's two guys. They're... With the Sanhedrin, they're off in the back section. And they're watching all this going on. They watch Jesus taking the cross and going all the way up. They watch him getting all the way up there. They watch him being placed upon uh, the, the cross itself. And they begin to see in the back of the crowd him lifted up little by little by little. First they see his head and it's wounded. And perhaps Jesus turns and he looks at Nicodemus and Joseph. And then they see his hands. And then they see his feet. Can you imagine this? This picture, what's going on? Is there in the back? Because they're the Sanhedrin. They're part of this process, but they don't want to be put to death, but they're seeing what's happening. And as they look at that, there's this confusion here. They're screaming and yelling. Peter has run away. All the disciples are gone. There's just Joseph and Nicodemus watching this whole thing happening. John's off to the side. And as he is lifted up, it begins to dawn on Nicodemus. He starts going, this is what he said. My God, this is what he said. He's being lifted up. And all who look upon him, and when they see him, they they recognize who he is. And everyone who recognizes who he is and what he's done will be saved. And perhaps Isaiah 53 begins to ring in their ears because all of them memorized that. It was that section in Scripture that was so confusing to all the Jewish people. How could God suffer? How could God place upon himself the sin of all mankind? They begin to have this aha moment 
But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You getting that aha moment? Oh my. Oh my God. Oh my. And at that point in time, Nick and Joe begin to realize this was God's purpose. This was his intent all along. And they begin to question themselves. They say, well, what's my job? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I want you to think about that. Watch this little clip called Scars. Think about what I just said who is deaf and my favorite part of sharing with her is I still remember the day she said I said how do you say Jesus how do you say Jesus as a deaf person she said oh it's great I said well, well show me she says just do this I went huh she said yeah just do this the scars in his hands that means Jesus you see his scars declare who he was and what he did. So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that all who believe in him not behave like him. All who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the remarkable thing about God is that not only does he lay down his hand and it's a hand of victory, But then he gives the hand to us. And he says, anyone who can, anyone who will, wins. It's like my son Brent's baseball game. I don't know if you've seen the baseball games recently when they're young. It drives Brent crazy. But they get up and they have the t-ball thing and they hit the ball and they go to first base and then they go all the way around and they come home. And everybody gets to hit, and everybody goes around the bases, and everybody scores. And everybody wins. And Brent says, I'm not sure I want to play today. So, well, why not? We always tie. I'm thinking, no, you always win. No. We always tie. The greatest thing about Easter is it says, everybody wins. See, the death of Jesus shows us this amazing love of God, His grace overflowing to everybody who's willing to respond to Him. It demonstrates the lengths to how far God was willing to go in order to get us back into heaven, to get us back into a relationship with Him. He says, to the death. Jesus convicted in the trial. They sentenced to death by crucifixion. This horrible death. Why did he have to die? Let me see if I can explain it. You see, we have this thing called a sin problem. We all blow it. We all make mistakes. We all say the wrong thing. We all do the wrong thing. How many of you fall into that category? You know, the rest of you are liars. 
That's our struggle. We go, okay, what am I going to do with this issue? Jesus tells us that this sin infects us. That is far more than just we made a mistake. It infects us and it causes us to put on a, a living cancer that brings destruction to everything and everybody. He says you can look at the Ten Commandments and it has a basic mark out there to help you understand what's right and what's wrong. He says, but everybody does far worse than that. And God's love is, is so powerful that he can overcome even that issue. But you see, there was a demand of justice throughout this cosmic reality. Last week we talked about invisible and visible responses. You can look at that message. We talked about it. But there's a reality that takes place outside of us. And God is saying, outside of where we're at here, there's the cosmic judgment that's taking place. And everybody who sins, is de- death is demanded. It's like a picture of the law of gravity. If you jump off that cliff, you will hit the bottom. And you will die. And that's the picture. And God said, this is the demanded price. The wages of sin is death. It's not that God wanted you to die because you sinned. He said, that's how it is. Someone has to pay that wage. And Jesus said, I'm the only one who can. And I'm willing. So he willingly pays the price for our sin, which is death, even death on the cross. And that's why when he stretched out his hands and after an indeterminate period of time, he uses those three wonderful words. He says, it is what? Finished, yeah. Tetelestai. It's finished. It's done. It's paid. It it was the same picture of, of, of a prisoner who had paid his time. He'd been in prison for X amount of years and now he was able to be released. You paid your time. They stamp it. Now you can go. You're set free. To tell us die. It's over. It's finished. Jesus didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. It's paid in full. That's why Paul says, Christ sacrifices life's blood to set us free. It means our sins are now forgiven. He did this because of God's amazing, incredible grace. And if there had been any other way to get to heaven besides Jesus dying for us, if there was any other possibility, don't you think God would have done that? Of course he would have. If somehow God could just say, abracadabra, he would have done that. If somebody could say, you're healed, you know, we could do, wait, want me to do that? I could bring you guys forward, we could do that. But guess what? You wouldn't be. It would be a false, a false cry. But God makes a real cry. He says, I will do what's necessary to bring healing to all of mankind. I will allow my son to die for every person who exists. See, it's the only way to be what Jesus called born again. We're back to Nicodemus, aren't we? Born again. You see... His death shows his love for us, but his resurrection, that declares the power that he wants to pour into our lives. It's not just his purpose or his passion, it's his power. See, the story doesn't end at the cross. If it did, none of us would be here today. There'd be no churches. But you see, there's a third act in this wondrous drama. So let's detour back to Nicodemus and Joseph, or Nick and Joe, if you like that better, okay? They saw Jesus crucified. They saw him die on the cross. They've had these aha moments. And they're thinking, what should we do? And God obviously speaks to Joseph. 
He knew the law. He knew the Old Testament prophecies. He's in awe of what had happened. He realized that Jesus was in fact the Son of God, sent from God, to take upon himself the sins of the world. He realized that you enter the kingdom of God not through good behavior, but through faith in this one God had sent on behalf of all mankind. And when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea got it, they said, we can't hide any longer. Enough of this undercover Christian thing. No more. And they step up in a marvelous way. They did the unthinkable. After they watched Jesus die on the cross, they went to Pilate and they said, we want the body of Jesus. Now, you've got to understand how incredibly scary this is to do. You could be put to death for making this request. This is a criminal. You're not allowed to do anything but take them down from the cross, put them in the wagon, and take them to Gehenna. Now, sometimes things had happened. It wasn't unprecedented. If you had enough money, you could bribe your way to get the body of a crucified loved one. You had to pay a lot. Usually you went to the person who's taking the wagon down to Gehenna to dump the bodies, and you say, hey, can I talk to you for just a moment? And they knew what you were there for. And you'd slip a couple hundred dollars into their hand, you know, 10 or 15 denarii. Say, do you think maybe I could get that body? And they go, what body? Turn their head. And then you'd grab the body and pull it off the cart. And they'd go on their way. But nobody really knew about it. It was just something you did. It was a bribe process. But they didn't do it that way. They went up to Pilate, the governor. And they said, Pilate, Nicodemus used all of his opportunity, his power, his prestigious position. And he goes up to Pilate and says, Pilate, you know what went on here was wrong. We just want the body of Jesus. Can we take it? Joseph said, I've got my own tomb. I know it's my family tomb, but I want to, I want to give it to Jesus. I want Jesus to use to have my tomb. And Joseph is a very rich man. I'm sure Pilate's thinking, I'm sure I'll get some extra donations later. And he's looking at Nicodemus and he's thinking, well, there'll be some political juice here. I think I can get a few favors later. And he says, okay, I'll allow it. So they go to take him down. The rest of the Pharisees hear about it, and they said, hold it just a minute, Pilate. If they're going to put him in that tomb, we want some soldiers to be placed in that area to make sure that when he doesn't rise in three days, because everybody knows he's not going to, but just to make sure they don't steal the body and try to pull a fast one, you put some soldiers in front of it, seal the tomb, we know exactly where it's at now, and make sure that everybody knows he didn't rise from the dead. Jesus is the only person that ever lived in the face of mankind that people guarded his grave. Pilate's got to think, you guys are crazy. You guys are nuttier than nuts. Okay, fine. He puts soldiers there. He guards the tomb because it was the tomb of Joseph and everybody knew where the grave was. Now, the scripture says this, John 19. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly... Why? Because he feared the Jewish leaders. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. They've gone public. Now the rest 
of the Pharisees know, the Sanhedrin know who they are and what's going on. At the place that Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, in the garden a new tomb. And Matthew says this was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They take the body of Jesus, trying to do it quickly because of the Passover. They put the body in the tomb. And they wrap it with something like 75 pounds, it says, of myrrh and alloys. They take Jesus' body, wrap it together with the spices, and they put it into the tomb. And they roll the rock over the tomb and say, there, it's finished. It's finished. And that's it. And nobody expects Jesus to rise from the dead three days later. You need to get this. See, we're looking back and thinking, well, everybody, no, no, no. Nobody expects Jesus. Everybody says, he's dead. He's buried. It's done. The only reason Mary goes to the tomb later is because she wasn't sure, as typical of men, that Joseph and Nicodemus had done a correct job with Jesus' body. And we can laugh about it because it is funny, but it's it's the honoring thing. They went over there to make sure that it was done correctly. That's why they went to the tomb. They didn't go there because they thought he'd risen from the dead. They went there because they thought, well, we need to make sure that he's wrapped appropriately because this is our Lord. We want to honor him in death. And when they show up, incredibly, incredibly, the stone has been rolled away. And Jesus is no longer there. He is risen. Isn't it interesting that the very man whom Jesus said, you must be born again, is the man who paves the way for generations of believers to know with certainty that he died and rose again. That you can enter the kingdom of God, not through your behavior, but through belief in what Jesus did on your behalf. Incredible. Marvelous. He is risen. He's, he's no longer dead. And Joseph and Nicodemus, because they did the right thing, set everything up so that when we move into the book of Acts, it says Jesus appears for over 40 days and shows person after person after person after person him for the next 40 days. Shows hundreds and hundreds of appearances so there'll be no question. This isn't some vision that Peter had. It's not some, something that happened with John. It's not even Nicodemus and Joseph who have turned to Jesus suddenly getting religion. It is the risen Savior clarifying who God is, what he had done, and how they needed to respond. Proof after proof. And that's why Jerusalem, some 20 years after the resurrection, between 100 and 125 thousand people are believers in this small place of about a quarter million people. And the reason they're believers is simple. Because Peter comes up to him and he shares with them, you remember the one who claimed he was God? He was. He's out of the tomb. You know it. You guys have heard about him. And now I come to you to declare to you exactly what you need to do. And that's why Paul says, by being raised from the dead, Jesus proved he was the Son of God. And that's why history is split into A.D. and B.C. by this marvelous, marvelous event. Marvelous, incredible event. See, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to each one of us now. 
He changed my life entirely. And he can change anyone else's life who is willing to accept and respond to that power. That's why the Bible says, I pray you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is for those who believe. For those who believe who he is and what he has done. It's available to you. I'm going to ask Pete to come up. I think the band's with him. I'm not sure. We're going to do a a final song here as we begin to think about this thought. But I, I want to share a few final things. This is it. You were made to last forever. That's why you feel like when you die, I shouldn't have to die. You're right. You were made to last forever. You're not supposed to die. Nobody's supposed to die. Hell was made for the devil and his demons. And heaven was made for man, for woman, for all of us who respond to God's promise who recognize who he is and what he's done but you have to receive that promise you got to look up you have to believe in the one who died for you that is what jesus said okay i have to confess something i'm a costco junkie okay some of you know it one of the reasons i'm a costco junkie it's because at Costco, you can take back anything, anytime. And they'll give you your money back. You don't even need a receipt. You know what I mean? I've seen people drag in stuff. I'm going, are you kidding me? You've got to be kidding me. They drag it in. They bring it up to the counter. And the person says, yeah, okay, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? It's a piece of junk. It's like 10 years old. And they go, okay. And they give them their money back. That's the promise. We fulfill our promise. That's the cry of Costco. Jesus says, I I fulfill my promise. I promise that anyone, anyone who believes that I died for their sins gains eternal life. The Son of Man is lifted up that anyone who believes in him who recognizes what he's done, who receives in their life. God says, I promise you'll have life. See, and so that's your chance. Some of you today, some of you are like, I haven't made that, I, have, I haven't chosen. I haven't admitted I'm a sinner. I haven't recognized I need a Savior. And I haven't confessed Jesus is Lord. I haven't said, I believe you died for my sins and I'm willing to learn from you and I need a new life. And if you want to do that, you do it today. It's not hard. Everybody, close your eyes, bow your head. Lord, today we come to you because we're kind of like Nicodemus and Joe. We want to believe. We're just not sure how. And so we see you lifted up on the cross and we say, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I desperately need you to cleanse me from sin and to give me some power, a motivation that's different than what I've got right now. Change my life, please. And so we cry out to you now and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me from sin as only you can and make me new. I want to be a child of God. Say that right now to each one of you. Say, I want to be a child of God. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our cry. Amen. Now, some of you are wondering something. I'd already talked to you about it, brought all these things forward, and that's it. Does God really love me? I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want you to tell them this truth, okay? Simple truth. Just say, God loves you.
God loves you. He really does. Just as you are. And that's, that's the cry of Easter. That's the glory of Easter. It's God saying, I love you. And I want you to be part of my family. I hope you take advantage of it. Take his promise. Be a God junkie, not a Costco. Hey, we're going to listen to the song. You may have to write down some things in a little prayer thing. We're going to take an offering. And we're going to close this time together. Eric's going to come up after the last song there and give us a little blessing. And that will end our Easter service. Okay? So let's pray right now. Father, thank you for providing for us. You've given us some income. What a great thing it is. I really like the fact that you provided for me, Lord. Thank you. And I want to give back to you in honor of what you've done and who you are. And I ask you to receive these offerings. That you receive these prayers. I lay them out because I need your help. And I want others to pray for me. So hear it. Take care of it. We place it in your hands on this special Easter day. Continue, Lord, to show your blessings this day. I ask it in Jesus' name.